History, according to Luke 18, Part 2, spoken by Pastor Peter Ahn. Good morning, Metro Community Church, and Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to everyone in the nursery. It's exciting to start this new year off, and uh, I'm sure some of you are in the stage where you're kind of excited because you're living into your resolutions. I'm sure we've set us a few res- resolutions, a couple goals that we hope that we would achieve this upcoming year. What are some of those goals that you've set? I think it's just kind of exciting for us to kind of hit that reset button at the beginning of the year because it kind of opens up fresh new possibilities of maybe things that we think that we can achieve this year. We set these resolutions and these goals because at, at, at the end of the day, we want to feel good about ourselves, don't we? And we feel that living into some of these resolutions will afford us the opportunity to really feel good about ourselves. And so for some of us, I think a lot of us, health is a big thing. A lot of us want to get healthier. So some of us have already started to diet. Some of us have already started to work out. Oftentimes the gym's busiest season is the beginning of the new year, right? And so we're living into that. I'm sure some of you have other types of goals that you've set for yourself. And when I think about setting goals, when I think about these resolutions, we often do this without consulting with God. Have you ever thought about what Jesus would want for you for 2018? What is the New Year's resolution that God has for you and for me? That's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about what Jesus would want you to sort of strive for in 2018. And on this very first Sunday of the year, as we continue in this series on the Gospel of Luke, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where I think it's just so perfectly timed for the season of our lives and for the season of of 2018, the very first Sunday of 2018, that Jesus is going to share with you his New Year's resolution for every single one of us. And if we can learn to live into that, something beautiful is going to happen. What is Jesus' New Year's resolution for you and for me? It's humility. That we would grow in humility. How about that? Does that excite you at all? It doesn't really excite me. I don't think we live in a sort of, I don't think it's humanly possible that a lot of us gravitate towards humility. Right? We're, we're kind of, we like to brag about certain things, and, and, and that's just kind of human nature. The idea of being humble is something that doesn't necessarily really appeal to us. And so, like, for me, it's hard sometimes for me not to brag about my family. I love to brag about my kids. I love to brag about Christian. I mean, he played fall baseball this year, and I got the opportunity to manage that team for him. And, uh, and there, towards the end of the season, we played the best team in the league uh, in the county. They were Richfield. And there was this kid who was pitching, and this guy was huge. He was about six feet tall, probably about 200 pounds, 12 years old. I almost asked the coach if I could see his birth certificate. <laughs> and he carries it with him because people ask. They don't believe this kid is 12 years old. He just, he's too big to be 12. He was throwing with such heat. I mean, the velocity of his ball just popped. Our players were nervous. I was nervous. A lot of them were striking out. Here comes Christian in the batter's box. And I'm just thinking, please don't strike out because that's what he usually does if somebody's throwing with that kind of heat. Or maybe he'll, he'll kind of do a weak ground out to the infield. I was just hoping even for a weak ground out because this guy was just throwing heat. He steps up, to the, steps up to the batter's box and he swings at the ball. And I'm telling you, I've never seen him ever hit a ball that far. They had tremendous outfielders. So this kid was running in right field and he went right to the fence and he caught the ball in the fence. But my son almost hit a home run against a guy who's six feet tall, 200 pounds. I couldn't believe it. And so I started bragging about it, started talking to people about it, calling out my friends, telling them that my son almost hit a home run. 
but it was still an out <laughs> at the end of the day. I'm wondering, like, why am I bragging about this? It was still an out. But you should have seen how hard he hit the ball. Even he didn't believe he hit the ball that far. Amazing, right? My daughter, Kayla, man, she's got like, she's, she has my heart. I could have the worst day in the world. I can come home upset, discouraged. And once she smiles and shows those little beautiful dimples of hers, it just melts my heart away. As she's getting older, I feel like her dimples get deeper. And therefore, she is able to manipulate anyone with that beautiful smile of hers. She is such a, a good, responsible kid. She's always helping out mom in the kitchen. When we need something to be done, we often go to her. I love bragging about her. My daughter, Christina, she's captain of her tennis team this year. And the reason why that's so impressive is because she's actually not a very good tennis player. Seriously, she may not start this senior year as a varsity player, but yet she's still captain of the team, which I find to be mind-boggling. The coach saw something in her leadership qualities where he decided to promote her to be captain of the team. And so I brag about that to people all the time, that my daughter is captain of the tennis team. You have a dog? I bet you my dog can beat up your dog. Any day. Pitbull, right? Do we have Kobe? Look at him. He's not even looking at the camera because he knows he's the man. Right? He's the dog. My wife, I mean, my wife's the hottest wife at Metro. Right? I mean, seriously. Just kidding. Not really, but just kidding. <laughs> but it's so hard to stay humble, isn't it? It really is. And I think in our own human nature, it's not easy to possess the qualities of humility. And that's why I don't think any of you in this room for 2018, you set a goal for this year to be humble, that you want to grow in gritty humility. You see, without humility, you'll never see the significance of God in your life. God just becomes this person that you just tap into when you need something from him or when you're in a crisis mode, but you don't see him or you have a sense of dependence upon him every single day in your life. Without humility, you find more hope and joy in an accomplishment and you kind of blow it out of proportion the way I did with my son. I mean, he hit the ball. It was hard, but it was still an out. But we find a lot of joy in that. And listen, there's, no, there's no, nothing bad about celebrating an accomplishment. But you certainly can't expect to find joy and fulfillment in them. Because there's only one thing that can actually fill your heart today, and that's Jesus Christ. That's it. And without humility, honestly, without humility, you won't see the need for God in your life. And you certainly won't believe that Jesus can fill that void that's in your heart today. And we try to fill it with so many different things like success or different things in our hearts. And today Jesus wants to fill that void. But more importantly, he wants to teach us that in order for that to happen, we have to set a goal this year of wanting to be more humble, to grow in humility. So what I want to do today is I want to define what is the theological definition of humility in the Bible and then how can we become more humble. All right, that's what we're going to do today in this sermon. So if you can turn with me to Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 30, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, which uh, I know Pastor Shirley is going to be very happy about this one. It's a passage about little children. Here's what it says. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. 
A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what's impossible with a man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we, we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brother or sister or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. This is the word of God. Let's pray. So God, we come to you today in the very first Sunday of the new year. We thank you for your faithfulness for sustaining us in 2017. And God, as we look at this first Sunday, teach us why humility is so important to you. And more than teach us it, God, I pray that it would be the prize that we live for. That you would help us to grow in humility. So God, that we can be the kind of person you want us to be. Lord, I pray for those in this room who uh, need a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray that you would invade them with your furious love and mercy today. Thank you, God, that you don't expect greatness from us. You just expect humility. So help us to be a humble servant today. So I pray, God, that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, that it will be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, one of the reasons why I believe that we don't necessarily embrace humility is because somehow we associate humility with humiliation. Right? I mean, it has the same root word, doesn't it? And in fact, none of, none of us in this room, you, you don't like being humiliated. I hate it when I feel humiliated. In fact, when you read the Bible, you'll find that there are moments in people's lives where God, because of how wayward they're living, they're living their lives contrarian to God, how God will begin to humiliate them. So we see that even in the Bible. And sometimes when we think about humility, we associate it with being humiliated. Right? That's kind of how we define it. And, uh, you know, growing up for me uh, as a Korean person in an all-white, predominantly blue-collar town, I was humiliated because I was Korean. I had nothing to do. I, I didn't have a choice to come into this world other than be Korean. And kids would look at me and make fun of me for the way I looked. They made fun of how small my eyes were. All these things, they humiliated me growing up as a child. And they humiliated other Koreans in front of me when I was older and, and in high school. And I just didn't embrace my Korean side. And it really affected me, even until my marriage. I thought I sort of shook it all, and I was okay with it, until my wife just one day just kind of blew up on me. Because from time to time, she would show me, like, different K-pop stars, like artists, singers that she thought had a really nice voice. And she would say, come over here, listen to this person's voice. Don't you think they can sing? And I would be like, ah, they can't sing like Whitney, not like Whitney Houston, not like Mariah Carey. And she would just get so upset with me, and she would say, why do you always look down on Korean people? 
it was a real probing question that I had to sort of investigate with a close friend of mine. And I said, I don't know what's really going on. Why do I, why do I sort of critique and judge Koreans very harshly? And he said, it's because you were humiliated for being one when you were, when you were in school. And so there's a lot of shame that you have within your heart. And as a result of that, you haven't embraced and you're not really proud that God made you Korean. And so sometimes when we think of humility, we think of humiliation. And that's why we don't, never, we don't ever make it a goal of ours because we don't like being humiliated. Sometimes we define humility as thinking lowly of yourself, right? In fact, when you look at the definition in Webster Dictionary, it says humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance. And so we naturally think humility is about you thinking that you're nothing, right? And sometimes we, we have to kind of play that up sometimes when you really shouldn't play that up because you should just embrace how God has made you right? You really should. You should just embrace kind of how God has made you. But sometimes we feel like we have to think that we're nothing or we have a very low view of ourselves. Some of you are actually very athletic. You have an ability to be quite athletic. And when somebody says how good you are at a sport, you kind of downplay that and you say, no, I'm not that good. LeBron's better. Oh yeah, of course, if you compare yourself to LeBron. But really, just embrace the fact that you're athletic. Some of you are actually really pretty, Right? Somebody says you're good-looking, you're handsome, and you say, oh, no, I'm not. No, you are. You're hot. Embrace your hotness. It's okay to do that. There's nothing cocky about that reality. If you know you are, it's okay. Right? Some of you are really smart, but you downplay your intelligence all the time. And you feel like you've got to dumb down yourself sometimes. If somebody says that you're smart... You don't, you downplay that. But yeah, you are. You went to an Ivy League school. You excelled at all those academics, uh, the, the tests that you took, the SATs. You're a smart person. Just embrace the fact that you are. Humility is not about you thinking necessarily lowly of yourself. One of the best examples I can give of this is that years ago, I've been fortunate enough to have a re- good relationship, a friendship relationship with Pete Scazzaro. He's the writer of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I wish I could be an author like him the way he writes. He writes in an amazing way. Well, two years ago, he wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Leader. And he had told me, even before the book came out, how hard it was for him to write a book like that, that it took him several years to even write that book, and how it almost killed him. But he said he was very proud of the product at the end. When I finished reading the book, I gave him a phone call because I thought it was one of the best leadership books I've ever read. And I said to him, I said, hey, Pete, I just got to tell you, like, I know you said you were proud of this, but I got to say it's probably one of the best leadership books I've ever read. And you know what he said to me? He said, I know, isn't it? It's great. I just thought, whoa, man, like, maybe you should be a little humble about this, buddy. Right? Maybe you should just be like, well, just praise the Lord. Thank God that he was able to sort of endow me with the ability to write that book. Like, he just said, no, I know it's great, isn't it? But see, he wasn't being cocky. He was just accepting the fact that he truly believed it was a good product. It was a good book. He's one of the humblest people that I know. He wasn't being cocky. He just accepted the fact that it was a good, good book. So then what is humility then? How do we define humility? Or how does God define humility in the Bible? Humility is depending upon God fully. That's humility, all right? If you want to grow in humility this year, you have to learn to depend upon God fully. What does the word fully mean? Meaning in every aspect of your life. That's humility. You don't just depend upon him when you're in crisis mode, but you depend upon him every single day in every area of your life. That is humility, and that's what God wants you and I to strive for this upcoming year. Humility is about trusting in God more than anything else. That's really what it's about. And the reason why we all struggle with humility 
isn't because we think lowly of ourselves or isn't because we want to be humiliated or we don't want to be humiliated. The reason why we struggle with humility so much is because we find security in so many other things in Jesus. That's why we struggle with humility. You find so much security in other things other than God, and that's why it's hard for you to be humble. That's why it's hard for me to be humble, because there's so many things competing for, for me to find security in other than God. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I hope some of you are, are sort of getting this. But humility, if we can grow in this, and this can be a goal of ours this year, to really start to depend upon Jesus Christ, really is the place where God can then begin to truly work and bless our lives in the way I know that you always hope God will. But how can God bless you if you don't depend upon him? How, why would God answer your prayer request if you don't depend upon him? Do you ever think about that? Because then you're just going to him just as somebody that should just bless you or answer some of your prayer requests. A lot of you expect God to answer your prayer requests without you depending upon him fully. It doesn't go that way. Because what that will do to you, it will make you sort of a spoiled saint. God will answer our prayers. God will move in our lives when we can be humble because we've depended upon him fully. So how do we do that? Well, there are a few things in this passage that Jesus teaches us and how we can strive to grow there. The first thing is this. We grow in humility when we have childlike faith. You and I grow in humility when we have childlike faith. Turn with me to verse 15. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter in. All right? The disciples were only doing what the culture saw in children back in those days. We live in a day and age today where children are considered tremendously important. We also see that they're vulnerable, and so because they're vulnerable, there are laws to protect them, and so there should be, right? We need to have laws to protect children because they cannot defend themselves because they're weak and they're little kids, right? And so we need laws to protect them. But back in the first century, children were considered very low in the social totem pole. And they were never to be embraced or sort of never to be in the presence of a rabbi, in, that, in the presence of somebody like Jesus Christ. And so that's why when parents are bringing their babies and their children to Jesus, the disciple says, why are, you wasting your t why are you wasting our Lord's time on these kids? And Jesus stops them dead in their tracks and says, stop it. Bring them over here. And he doesn't just say, just, let's just embrace children. He says, if you don't have childlike faith, you can't go to heaven. You need to understand how the disciples were so flabbergasted by that statement that Jesus made. Because children were considered very low in the social tone. They weren't important. And yet now Jesus says, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like a little child. Your faith has to be like a little child. What is it about children that Jesus sees that maybe you and I don't see? Is it because they're holy? No. Children are not holy. Far from it. Parents of the nursery, I know you love your little baby. But once they start to talk, you know what their favorite word is going to be? It's not going to be mommy. It's not going to be daddy. It's going to be no. That's going to be their favorite word. And you know what their favorite word is going to be when they're playing with other kids? Mine. Mine. Children are far from being holy. 
In fact, when you look at babies and children, you realize that we are truly born with a sinful nature. We really are. So what is it about children that Jesus sees? You see, it's not about having childish faith. Childish faith is very different. We've got to learn to grow out of that because some of us are so spoiled, even as Christians, that we have childish faith. That we're kind of these spoiled brats and we go before God and we kind of make these demands upon him that's not right. See, that's not humility. But what is it about children? Why does Jesus say we have to have childlike faith? Because children depend upon their parents fully. As they receive love from their parents, they depend upon their parents fully. Nobody really taught them that. They just innately follow their parents fully. We have to trust in God with the simple faith and humility of a dependent child has on their parents. That's the goal that God wants you and I to have today. That he wants us to get to a place in our lives where we can depend upon God in that way as a little child depends upon their parents. Will you have childlike faith today? Will you depend upon God in every area of your life, not just in the areas of crisis in your life? Will you depend upon God in your marriage? I don't think you honestly can have a healthy marriage if you don't depend upon God. You want to know why? Because God loves your spouse so much more than you could ever love them. And there are going to be moments in your marriage where you're going to hit a wall, you're going to go through struggles, and you need to tap into the reservoir of God's love for your spouse because you don't have any for them. Will you be humble in your marriage by depending upon God fully? Will you do that? Will you depend upon God as a parent that you would really begin to trust in God? Because some of us, we come from such broken upbringings. Nobody taught us how to be a good parent. And if you don't be careful, like me, if you grew up in a very dysfunctional family, you'll be shocked how much of your parents you inherit, how much of their issues you inherit when you begin to parent your child. It's scary so many times because I saw my anger of my dad inside of me. And if you can't depend upon God for your parenting, there is no hope. Because it's easy to parent your child when things are going well, but try to parent them when you're not doing well, when they're disappointing you. Try being a good parent then. You need to depend upon God for that. Do you depend upon him as a single person today? Do you? Do you depend upon him and trust in him and say, I'm just going to trust in you, God. I ain't going to trust in anything else. I ain't going to take matters into my own hands. And to really depend upon him for your single life, that you will vow to live a life of celibacy and just trusting God and knowing that God knows the longing of your, of your heart. And as you depend upon that, God will open an opportunity for you to meet somebody one day. And I'm not saying that you just sit back and relax and don't do anything. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's a sense of dependence upon him and doing things proactively to maybe meet somebody. But it's not taking matters into your own hands and doing whatever you think you want to do with yourselves or with your bodies. But really trying to honor God in a powerful way. We depend upon God like that. We depend upon him with your job. I remember when I used to work full time, I hated Sunday nights. Oh, I hated it because I had to wake up and realize there's five more days of work. I, I couldn't. I was 20, 22, 23 years old, and I was already looking forward to retirement. Because they say the best thing about retirement is Sundays. Because you can go to sleep not having to worry about waking up to go to work. God could give you a whole new purpose for your job today if you depend upon him. 
And he could certainly show you that you should be happy, that you should at least be thankful that you have one. Because there are people out there, millions of people that would love to be in your position today. God is calling us to have childlike faith, but it's hard, isn't it? Because we love power. We are addicted to power. We love people. We, we sort of put people on a pedestal where we feel like they're powerful. We look at athletes. We look at celebrities, right? We look at different types of entertainers. We look at CEOs out there. We look at politicians, and we see them as a symbol of power, and they're the complete antithesis of humility in many ways. And so it's something that we don't necessarily strive for. So I'm asking you that on this first Sunday of the new year, will you, Doug talked about this last Sunday, will you persistently pray that you would grow in humility and have childlike faith. You have to persistently pray that God would help you to depend upon him more fully in every area of your life. Will you do that? Will you persistently pray about that? If you can do that, then God will give you enough faith so that you can depend upon him for today, so that you can continue to depend upon him for tomorrow. We need to grow in humility by developing childlike faith, right? Second, we grow in humility when we give up our greatest treasures to God, when we give up our greatest treasures to God. Look at verse 18. A certain ruler asked them, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who was rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what's impossible with man is possible with God. The rich young ruler valued money than it, more than anything else, right? Money is a real big topic in the Gospel of Luke. It appears over 19 times in this Gospel. And the reason why it's such a big topic is because it's a big topic for a lot of us. And if there's ever going to be an obstacle that prevents us from depending upon God, it's going to be money. Because money at the end of the day, and the reason why many of us have fallen deep in love with money or depend upon it is because it's like security. The more money you have, the more security you have. The more money you have, the more you can pay your bills. The more money you have, the more you can buy things and enjoy the better things and the finer things that the world has to offer us, right? One of the key dangers of wealth is simply that possessions then come first before God. That's the danger of it, right? The rich man couldn't give up his wealth because he had a lot of it. And please understand, at the beginning of this passage, what we learn, right, is that you can actually do good things for God but still be far away from him. Because he wasn't committing adultery. He wasn't lying. He was honoring his mother and his father, right? He was doing all the right things that was in the Mosaic laws. And yet Jesus says, you're going to go to hell. You're not going to go to heaven. Isn't that crazy? That you could do all the right things and still be so far away from God if there is something that you treasure more than him. That's why idolatry is the number one topic in the Old Testament because God knows that if you have something that's more important to you, that you worship more than God, then you're not going to really worship God. 
that God might become a means to an end so that that idol in your life can sort of be fulfilled. And that's a dangerous place for us to be in our own lives. And we have to be careful of that, right? And though I know this is a hard text because the text simply says that the rich cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to go to heaven. I know that's a hard text, but you got to believe this, that when there is something greater than God in your life, and I'm telling you, I struggle with this all the time. When there is something greater than God in your life, Jesus says, you're not a disciple of mine. You don't believe in me because then you won't believe, you won't learn to depend upon me, and you won't see me as somebody who can be good to you. Money is neutral. Money is not the evil thing here. It's our love for money that will often cause us to go into a very deep and dark place. And that is not what God wants for you and for me. Jesus tells the rich young ruler, he says, you still lack one thing, just one. Give everything you have, sell your money, give everything that you have to the poor, and come and follow, follow me. What is the greatest treasure in your life today? What is? If it's not money, what is it? Is it your children? I get it. It is for a lot of us. We love our children. And I want to talk to the parents here who have older children. Like older, I'm saying like 10 plus, maybe. 10 years plus. How do we, does God want you to just give them up? Not necessarily just kick them out of the house. That's not what he wants from us. But if your child has a relationship with God, why not trust God to parent your child in how he can direct their future? Why do you have to be so opinionated about telling them to pick certain majors for college? And why do you have to tell them to pick a certain profession? Why have we become just like our parents? Why can't we trust that God has formed them and made them and that God would speak his purposes for their life as they continue to connect with him? See, that's giving your child to God rather than holding on to them so tightly. Some of you have chosen the path that your parents told you to, to sort of pursue a career path, and I know how miserable you are because of that. That's a dangerous place for us to be because then we're playing God in their lives, and God doesn't want us to do that. So what is it that's important in your life? Is it your children? Is it your job? Is it your spouse? What is it? Is it about your love for wanting to one day get married? And I get that. Will you... Learn to lay that down, give that up, and trust in your God. Depend upon him fully. When Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven, that traumatized the disciples, and that's why they answered, who then can be saved? You see, because in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the rich were often seen as somebody who was blessed by God. You know, they, they were referring to passages like Proverbs 10.4. Proverbs 10.4 says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 28.9 says, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. The rich were blessed by God, according to a lot of followers of God back in those days. When they saw somebody was wealthy, they felt like God was blessing them. So when Jesus says rich people can't enter into the kingdom of heaven, they were traumatized by that. Right? And when you look at the Old Testament, but when you look at some of the prophetic books, like Amos and, and, uh, and Micah, especially Amos 6 and Micah 6, you'll find that the Old Testament prophets actually indicted a lot of wealthy people 
for not surrendering their wealth and helping and serving the poor and the oppressed with their money. And so when you think about Jesus, especially in the Gospels, he really aligns himself with this prophetic voice where he's rebuking and encouraging and really challenging people with wealth and saying, will you surrender that for the things of God? Will you do that, right? And you know what this rich young ruler did? He went to Jesus because he wanted affirmation. How do we know that? Because he called him good. And that's what Jesus says, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God the Father alone. You see, he was trying to brown nose him, trying to make him feel good so that he can be affirmed of who he is. We do that all the time, don't we? As we come to church, why do you come here? Don't you want to be affirmed by God today? Don't you want to leave here feeling so affirmed by Jesus Christ? You know how you've experienced the affirmation of Jesus? Give him what you treasure the most today. That's how you get affirmed by God. See, that's not something that we want to sign up for, is it? But I think that's the question that God has for you today. Because if you're not willing to give him what you treasure the most, you can't be humble. You certainly won't see a need for God because you're going to trust in that thing that you think is more important than God. So how do we do that then? Right? How do we do that? I think for the majority of us in this room, the struggle for us are people, yes. But I think the big struggle is money. How do we do that? How do we sort of have victory over our money and our finances? you got to learn to be more generous with it. You really have to be. You have to learn to be more generous with your treasures if you want to give up, you know, the treasure that you treasure the most, which is money. That's the best way for you to fight the desire of trusting and finding your security in money. you got to be more generous. Listen, if you are not tithing, if you are not giving 10% of your income to the church, and the church is important, some of you like to give to different charitable organizations, and I think you should do that, but that shouldn't be your tithe. That should be above your tithe, because biblically speaking, the tithe always went to the temple. It always went to the church. And so you should be tithing. If you're not tithing, your humility is at stake. Because understand, the rich young ruler, he was actually tithing too. And yet Jesus says, you know what? You're not even near there. Because you're not willing to give me more. He had so much more wealth. He could have given more than a 10% tithe. And if we're not even at the place where we're starting to tithe to God, I think our humility is at stake. Some of you, can I give you a, a better challenge than that? Can you learn to increase your tithe by 1% every year? That's the tithe challenge because God's blessed you with so much. So if he's blessed you with so much, why don't you give more to God? When you can embrace a sense of generosity that way, that will help you. To fight your desire of love for money. It really will. You know, most marriages end up in a divorce because of one simple fact, and you know this. It's because of money, right? Money. Think about how many relationships money has destroyed in your family's relationship. Not just with your mom and dad, but think about uncles. Think about, you know, your parents' sisters and brothers because of money. They've loaned them money. They've never paid it back. And as a result, there was a, there was a break, right? Money does that, doesn't it? It'll do that with your relationship with God as well. Nothing will sever your relationship with God more than the way you see money. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at here. If you want to grow in humility today, you have to have a plan and how you can be generous so that money doesn't claim the kind of power it has upon you today. You've got to give up what you treasure the most if you want to be humble. Third. And last thing, we grow in humility when we receive God's blessings. We grow in humility when we receive God's blessings. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, 
No one who has left home or wife or brother or sister or parent or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. When we have childlike faith, there's a progression here. When you have childlike faith and you're willing to give up what you treasure the most, whatever it might be, money, whatever it might be, then God wants to bless you in this lifetime here on earth, but also in heaven. It's a both and kind of a thing. A lot of you just want a blessing here on earth. But Jesus says, I'll give you a blessing here on earth, and I'll also give you a tremendous blessing in heaven. It's a double portion of God's blessing. I would sign up for that any day. God will bless us. He wants to bless us if we're willing to have childlike faith and give up what we treasure the very most in our own lives. He is willing to do that. Right, he's willing to do that in our lives. And so, but I think for a lot of us, um, it, it may not appear to be that way. When you think about a blessing of God, sometimes it, it's a certain blessing that we think we need. But see, I don't think God's going to let you do He's not going to give you a choice for this because he knows what you really need. And you may not want it, but he knows you need it the most. There's a blessing in which God wants to give to you today. Right? When I think about a child and, and, a, and a parent blesses a child with something, um, I never see a child reject a blessing from their parents. Never. And I think God wants to bless you today, right? If you're willing to have childlike faith and if you're willing to give up what you treasure the most, right, today, he's willing to bless you. So what's the blessing that God wants to give you today? It's the church community. That's the greatest blessing that he wants to give to you today. Now, I know you're like, what? Come on, man, stop it. You're such a lie because you're a pastor. You don't see the church as a gift, I think, because you don't have childlike faith. And it's because you value so many other things than God. I wonder what the church would look like if it was filled with humble people. Now, I know the church has done a lot to hurt you. I get that. And I think that's part of human nature. But God can still redeem any of that stuff because Jesus Christ chooses to live in the church. Look at the church he was offering this rich young ruler. He said to him, he says, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. What is he doing? He's inviting him to be a part of his life. You see, the church is an invitation where Jesus is inviting you to be a part of his life because the church is the only place in the world where Jesus Christ is the center of it all. It's the church. And today, the gift that God wants to give to you today is the church. He really does. He wants to give you the gift of a church, a church community that you can depend upon, that you can experience God's presence and his love from in a very deep and powerful way. Community helps you to depend upon God even more because in many ways it encourages you to ask for help. That's why the church community is so important because it's the place where you can help. And that's why I do believe the tithes are important to tie to the church because it's a place where the community of God continues to, to go and to thrive and where people can experience care and love in that way. And God wants us to grow in that place. Some of us, I know you want certain things from God, but will you still pursue God if he doesn't give you those, some, some of those things that you want today? Because the gift he's giving you today is the church. Take it or leave it. That's the gift he's giving to you. Will you take it or will you just leave it? A lot of you, because you want certain things from God, if he's not going give, to give it to you, you may just walk away from it. But think about how serious and how bless, a blessing the church community can be and, and the potential of what the church community can be today, right? Listen, some of us may never have children. 
Never. And you know how many single moms in this church are here that would love to invite you to help them to raise their children? You know how many spiritual children you can have here in this church? Some of you may never own a home. You may never own a home. But if you're part of a church family, you'll have many homes to go to. Because that's what the church is about. It's a place where you can go and connect. And it's not just mine is mine, but mine is ours together. We share together. Can we get there? I mean, when you look at the book of Acts and Acts 2, they sold what they had to give to those who were in need. We are far from that place because we're far from depending upon God fully. The gift that God wants to give to you and me today is the church. And if we can approach the church with a humble heart, with a childlike faith, where we're willing to give up whatever we treasure the most to God, then God will bless you and me in this church And then the world will know that Jesus Christ is God. Amen? Some of us, you came from broken families. I I came from a broken family. And the reason why the church is so great is that you can be a part of a family that's not broken. I mean, it's still messed up. But Jesus Christ is the center of it all and he redeems it. And God could breathe a redemption in your life from the broken past that you've had to deal with because your parents weren't able to love you the way you needed to be loved and that you can have other spiritual parents that will love you the way you deserve to be loved. That's the hope of the world is the church community. And today, if you have a humble heart, the gift and the blessing that God wants to give to you in 2018 is the church community. Will you accept it? Will you need it? Will you thank God for it? Or are you just going to see the church as a place where you go and you get from, and that's it? We won't grow in humility if we fall into that trap. God's not calling you to be perfect, to be saved. No, anything but that. But what he is saying is that you need to depend upon him to be a follower of Jesus. And you can't do that if you don't have childlike faith. You can't do that if you're not willing to give up everything that you treasure the most. You can't do that if you're not willing to receive the greatest gift that Jesus Christ wants to give to you today. And that's the church. That's the church. When I think about humble people, and I've met a ton. I know a lot of humble people, and I'm grateful for that. But the humblest person I've ever met in my life, hands down, is Pastor David Hosang. I've never met a man more humble than him. And you know, for me, I get a little cynical when I meet humble people. So I'm thinking, come on, man, that's an act. Come on, man, you can't be that humble. The dude is really that humble. I've never seen a guy who's got more childlike faith in him. I really have not. You know how I know that? Because years ago when we interviewed David for this position and he came here with his wife in California in a snowstorm, Betty had a massive heart attack in our office. I didn't know it was a heart attack. We just rushed her to the hospital. Shirley, Clay, and David and Betty went to Englewood Hospital. And I had no idea. I finished a staff meeting and I joined them later. And her heart actually stopped. And when I went to ICU and the nurses told me, they said, she may not make it. And I said, what? What are you talking about? They said it was a serious heart attack. I was like, no, Betty, you cannot die here. I mean, if there's ever a sign to not come and be a part of Metro, I don't know what the sign is. That's the sign. (laughs) Right? And I was like, even if she makes it out of this, there's no way he's going to come here. I mean, his wife almost died here. Why would he want to come and be a part of our church? I just started freaking out. I go into the waiting room. I'm just thinking David is going to be pacing back and forth. He's going to be sweating like droplets of blood because he's going to be so overwhelmed with grief. He's sitting there having an interactive conversation with Pastor Shirley, 
with his typical smile. I observed him for about 15, 20 minutes, and I thought that was a little abnormal. <laughs> I said, there's something wrong with him. I don't know why he's not going crazy. And so I went over to him. I said, hey, um, aren't you worried about Betty? And he looked at me, and I never forget it. I don't have a great memory, but I don't remember. I, I definitely remember stuff like this. He said, Peter, of course I'm worried, but it's in his hands. Man, I wish he had a microphone. He just drop it right there. <laughs> Walk away. Bothered me a little bit, though. I'm not used to being around that kind of humility. Well, it was amazing because um, you talk about money, giving up what you value the most. He's done it. God didn't use Betty's heart attack to get them to run away from Metro. He used it to actually get them to come and be on our staff. I couldn't believe it. So he called me back. You know, they, he spent a few weeks here because he had to. Betty had to recover. Then when they went back to California, he said, I'll pray about it. And I'll think about coming. And I just said, let's hope. Let's pray. I called him in a few weeks. I said, so have you decided? And he said, yes, we feel called to go to Metro. I was so happy. I was like, yes. We started talking about, you know, when he can come. We started talking about different things. And usually when somebody says they want to come, it's like we never talked about compensation or salary. Never. And they, whoever you interview, that's one of the first questions you got to ask, right? I mean, they teach you that. So I'm waiting for him to ask me how much he's going to get paid. And he never asked me. And so I said, hey, don't you want to know how much you're going to make at our church? And you know what he said to me? My God provides. What? <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to tell you how much you're going to make anyway. He didn't care. Because he really knows in his heart that his greatest provider is God. You should spend some time with him. Because when you're around that kind of humility, it can wreck you. He used to be a professor in seminary at Talbert Region, some of the best seminaries in the country. But he left. And I asked him, I said, why? Why did you leave? He said, because I'd invest my life in these students for two, three years, and then I would never see them again. It's not real community. He said, I went to the church because I realized the church is the hope for the world. And if Betty and I can invest in relationships with people, that's what God wants is the gift that I've received. It's the greatest gift that I have. And you know, Betty and David don't have any biological children. But they have hundreds, if not thousands, of spiritual children. Will you grow in humility today? On this very first Sunday of the year, Will you set a goal to want to be more humble? Will you have childlike faith? Will you give God the thing that you treasure the most in your life today? And will you receive the precious gift that God wants to give to you, the gift that of why he sent Jesus Christ to come here, to die for you on the cross and resurrect from the dead? It wasn't just to get you to heaven, but it was to give you the church. Will you receive that gift? And will you begin to realize God's purposes for your life. Let's pray.